Good evening. It's wonderful to be with you again. I mean, uh, it seems like it's been a long time. And before I start preaching, just for the recording, I do have to apologize and apologize to Andrew because um, he spoke to the elders recently and told us we need to preach better than we have been doing, which I agree with. And he said, for a season, I want you to, to do this and do this and be well prepared and not go off your notes and not just, we need to strengthen some weak muscles. And so I was preparing for tonight, but I feel like God wants to do something different tonight. I don't feel like I'm convinced Jesus wants to do something different tonight. And I'm not quite sure what it is, but I feel compelled to try and just follow what he wants to do. Because I really feel like tonight he wants to draw us to himself and draw us back into that beautiful love relationship that he has for us. And you know, I, I know scriptures, I've been preaching many years. I could put a great three-point preach together with really clever scriptures about love and all the Greek words. You know, there were eight Greek words for love. Four of them are used in the Bible. You can, you can talk about them and define them, and, and you can really do a profound preach. But uh, do you remember the first time you fell in love? Anybody remember the first time they ever fell in love? For some of us, it was a while back. Some of you, hopefully, have never been in love yet. But you could listen to all the songs on the radio. You could look at the dictionary definitions. You could do it all. And it wouldn't make sense to you until you'd experienced it. Some things you have to experience. And I'm not saying we, we've, we, we don't have a theology and we just go by experience. But an experience of Jesus has to be the bedrock of forming our theology. It can't just be an empty academic exercise. And so tonight, as, as, as I feel Jesus is, is, is drawing us to himself in that love relationship, it's like, I feel like I'm attempting the impossible. Talking about love is rather like dancing about architecture. You know, it's, like, it's just not going to do it. Once you've been in love, you kind of have, have an analogy, but the problem is as well as all of our experiences of, of love in this world fall far short because we fall in love with human beings. And our love is human. Our, our love is flawed. Even the best marriages, it's between two human beings, two imperfect people. One of the best bits of advice I ever, I ever received was, next time you're tempted to criticize your wife's faults, Remember, it's those very faults that stopped her getting a better husband than the one she got. <laughs> and therein lies that thing of, you know, there's a theory that in every marriage there's a, there's a, a reacher and a settler. Have you heard that? So the theory is when two people get married, like Jacques and Jeanette, one reached up for something, somebody so much better. Yeah? He reached... And somebody had to settle. <laughs> I'm a settler, by the way. No, no, I'm not. I'm a, I'm a reacher. I'm a reacher. I don't know how. I, I posted um, earlier this week, because it was my anniversary this week, my, the greatest, my greatest achievement in life was persuading my wife to marry me. 
I don't know how I managed it. Why she chose to settle for me, I don't know. And in our relationship with Jesus, I think we can all acknowledge that there's a reacher and a settler. We are the reachers. Yeah, he's so far beyond us. But our, our human experience of love, you know, we can look at marriage and we can have all these analogies, but they fall far short, don't they? I, I did some research as I was preparing for this message. The world's greatest love songs. And you know, most of the world's greatest love songs in all the lists, they have an element of heartbreak in it. An element of, I love you, but I can't be with you. You've dumped me, but I love you. Or, or you know, we, we stole, stole in a line, every breath you take. I mean, that should not be, the, that's not a love song. That's a song about a stalker. <laughs> Think about it. Every step you take, every, every I've got to be watching you. That's about obsession. It's not about love. And the problem is our, our experience of love and our picture of love when we look at the world is always flawed. Sometimes it's so flawed, it, it's harmful. You know, McDonald's, what's McDonald's catchphrase? I'm loving it. I, I love this cheeseburger. I, you love a cheeseburger. But I've, I've heard it explained like this. For many of us, love is like love for a cheeseburger. It means I need to have it. Rather than a godly love, which is I want to give myself to you. And I want to unpack a little bit about the love of Jesus. And I'm just going to be really honest with you now. You know, we look at scriptures like Revelation the letter to the church is there. And you'll probably know the one I'm about to quote in Revelation 2. From verse 2. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you've not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And somebody quotes that, and many of you start going, oh, I feel so bad because I'm not loving Jesus like I should. Anybody ever feel that way? Uh, anybody ever been with Mervis and watched him weeping as he talks about Jesus and think, man, my heart is stone cold? <laughs> yeah. And no doubt Mervis sometimes is sat with one of you and you're just expounding on what Jesus has, has revealed to you this week and he's going, oh man, my heart is stone cold. Does that ever happen, Mervis? <laughs> and it's a hard one because it's like, I wish I could give us seven steps to being more in love with Jesus. And you can't quite do that, can you? It's like, because it, it's a heart thing. And there is a choice. But we're in a relationship with him. And I don't want to say this is a rebuke, you've lost your first love. I want to say this is an encouragement in Jesus drawing us and saying, we can love, we, there's more love to get and there's more love to give. There's this divine romance that we're involved in. And it's not a human romance. It's not fraught with peril because the object of our affection is going to let us down or betray us. And a lot of us go into human relationships and we go into a relationship Jesus, with Jesus with the same 
reservations and the same self-protection because we've experienced disappointment or betrayal. But Jesus is never going to betray us. You know, Albert Einstein had a powerful quote. He said this. I don't know what, whether he was an expert on love and marriage, but this is a powerful quote. He said, men marry women with the hope that they will never change. Women marry men with the hope that they will change. Invariably, they're both disappointed. <laughs> and there's a lot of truth in that. You know, it's like uh, the, the old joke that uh, the woman on a wedding day, she's so nervous she's going to do the wrong thing. So, so the minister says to her, just remember these three steps. When you come into the church, you walk down the aisle. Just walk down the aisle. Just remember that, walk down the aisle. The second step is stop by the altar and then we'll sing a hymn. Right. Just remember those th three things. Aisle, altar, hymn. <laughs> I'll alter him. And often we go into relationships like that. But Jesus is the one who never changes. But he wants to change us. And that's a beautiful thing if we got into the relationship knowing and acknowledging that there's a lot about us that's unlovable. I know you find it hard when I say that because I'm so lovable. You know, some people have this the theology, Jesus loves you just the way you are. And that's true, he accepts us just the way we are. But he, he's not like 10cc. You know, he doesn't sing, don't go changing. To try. He wants to change us into his image. But he's infinitely patient and loving with us in that process. And I wish... If you do a graph of our relationship with Jesus and our love for him, I wish it was a straight line going ever upward. You know, every day. You know, there was, there was an old uh, song we used to sing, an old chorus in church. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. And it's this like, it's happy clappy song. And it's like, every day I just fall more in love with Jesus. And I wish that was true. But sometimes I wake up and I find my heart has grown cold. I find myself distant. I wonder, was, was the relationship I had? Was the intimacy? Is that just me or is that... Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You're all very quiet this, this evening, this afternoon. And the good news is this. You know, if you do marriage courses and things like that, they often say in any marriage, usually there's a... There's a, a pursuer and a withdrawer. Have you heard that? And when there's conflict, one tends to withdraw, which in most cases is, is the lady, because she's protecting her emotions. And then there's a pursuer who wants to come and fix everything. Right? The good news is Jesus is not a withdrawer. Jesus is a pursuer. He will always pursue you. He will always seek you out. He will always call you. He will always draw him to yourself. And whether you've spent a day neglecting the relationship or 50 years neglecting the relationship or whether you've never been in a relationship with him, the good news is this. He's still pursuing you. 
You know, there's been a lot of controversy about seeker-sensitive churches. You know, let's have services that are sensitive to seekers. And I believe in having a seeker-sensitive church because Jesus is the seeker. He's the one looking for us. He's the one pursuing us. And I want to be sensitive to him as he draws us to himself. And as I was preparing for, for, for this afternoon, I just felt that there are a number of us who are dissatisfied with our relationship with Jesus. There's a distance. There's a dullness. There's a, not a hard heart, but just, is this it? Is this all there is? Or even, I know there was more. Why is it not like it used to be? And some preachers will tell you, of course it's not like it used to be, because, you know, it's more mature now. You know, once you're married for 20 years, you don't love your wife like you used to. It's not, and I go, we should be more in love. There should be a greater depth to the relationship. And we should be more like each other. And scientists have proven that you become like the person you spend time with. Married couples, the longer they're married, the more they look alike. Sorry, Greta. (laughs) Even physically, we begin to look like our spouses because we have the same lifestyle, the same diet. And when we're across from each other, even friends, when, when you're communicating with somebody subconsciously you're mirroring their actions and their expressions. That's how we connect with one another. That's how we empathize. That's how we, how we form bonds and relationships is by mirroring and, and imitating each other. So the question is, who are you becoming more like? And the more we spend somebody, time with somebody, the more we look like them. My wife is getting better looking every day. I don't know why you're laughing. Uh, You see, I've changed a lot since we got married, and not all for the better. You know, there's about 20 kilograms of me that my wife isn't legally married to. She told me the other day it was time to get in shape. I said, round is a shape. You know, some while ago, for various reasons, my wife and I, were, we were going through some tough times in our marriage, and we were just missing each other. It wasn't that we didn't love each other. If you'd have asked my wife, do you love him? She'd have said, yes. And if you said to me, do you love her? I would have said, yes. But we're just missing each other. Some, something of intimacy, something of passion, something of communication was missing. And so I'm, I'm Mr. Fix-It, right? If there's a problem, I've got to fix it. And I'm a leader in the church, so if anybody knows how to be persuasive and change people, right, it's me. If somebody's doing wrong, I, I, I can lead them. You know, I know the Bible. I, I can lead people. That's what I do for a living. I applied all my best principles, everything I knew. And things got worse. And somebody sat down with me and said, Mike. Have you figured out your wife's love language? Why don't you just find out a love language and love her like that? I said, brew, I've tried all five love languages and another five that don't exist. Why am I telling you that? Because we can know all the principles, but relationship isn't based on principle. 
Principles are useful as signposts to tell us when we're going wrong. They can be helpful. But if there isn't something, if there isn't communion, if there isn't a heart joining at the center of it, those principles don't work. And what happened with my wife is I'd buy her a gift and she was thinking I was bribing her. Okay, so uh, gift giving, that's not her love language. What about, what about uh, time? And I was trying to spend time with her. And she goes, I know you want to be somewhere else. No, it's not that. And everything I tried didn't work until Jesus broke through and the Holy Spirit broke through and something happened. I get a feeling that for many of us in our relationship with Jesus, it's been a little bit like that, that we've been trying to apply all the principles. I've been doing all the right stuff. I've been going to church. I've been having quiet times. I'm not saying the principles are wrong, and we'll look at some principles just now. But I want to say this. Jesus is desperate to deepen his relationship with you tonight. And so I asked myself, how would I do that? How, how, do we, how do we deepen our relationship with Jesus? And so I went to Dr. Google, and I did some research. And what I researched was, how do I rekindle romance? And I want to talk to us tonight about how do we rekindle our romance with Jesus? How do we find that intangible, almost indefinable quality to a relationship? You see, in that scripture that I read from Revelation, look at the language that's used. And as we're going to Christmas, I want us to be aware of this. He says... I know your works, your toil, endurance, your enduring patiently, bearing up, growing weary. That's all the language of when you're doing the right thing outside of relationship. Yeah? Now, even in the best marriage, it's good to be patient, it's good to endure. My wife has really good endurance capabilities. She's been married to me now for 27 years. I call that endurance. Patience. Well, you need to work at these things. But that's the language of, it's almost the language of duty, obligation, and principle, isn't it? And sometimes I find we talk, and I'm not saying it's completely wrong, but as leaders, we say things like this. You know, you've been working so hard, church, this year, and now we need to take a break. And what that language says is coming to church is hard work, and you need a holiday from church. This should be a place of refreshing. Now, I know there is a sense that, you know, meetings and stuff, it, it's time-consuming, and, and, and we need to have seasons where we do different things. But when we've lost that connection, when we've lost that passion when we've lost that romance, then these things become endurance, toil, obligation. And as we go into this Christmas period where there's less meetings, I want to encourage us not to think that link Jesus and time with Jesus and time with Jesus' people as work and obligation and endurance, but as part of the romance. And in the natural, we do that all the time. I, I was saying when I was in Brazil, when I first came to South Africa, I'm about, I came to South Africa for one year, 30 years ago. <laughs> and I met my wife at Bible college. 
And she left the college before I did. She was living in Johannesburg. I was up in White River. Do you know where White River up is? Up near the Kruger Park. And we were dating. And she was working in Johannesburg. And often, and quite often, I'd get a phone call on a Friday afternoon. Can I see you this weekend? I said, yeah, that'd be cool. So after work on a Friday evening, she would get in a little yellow city golf and drive all the way to White River, about four and a half hours. Pick me up, and then I would drive back to Johannesburg. And then we would spend the Saturday together, Sunday morning at church and after church on a Sunday. I would drive back to White River, and then she would drive back to how many of you think we were insane? That was like 18 hours of driving to spend a day together. But neither of us thought it was toil or a burden or hard work. We wanted to do it because we wanted to be together. Can you see? Love makes you do crazy things. Love makes you insane. You know, and too many Christians I know, they want to be moderate, respectable Christians, yeah? You don't, you don't want people to think you're one of those weird, crazy, wacko, religious nuts. Well, here's the deal. They already do. They already think you're insane. I mean, how insane? Look, what a beautiful day. Here we are in one of the most beautiful cities in the world, middle of summer, and you're sat in, in church listening to some bonkers Englishman instead of being out on the beach. That's insane, you take your hard-earned money and give it to the church. That's crazy, right? You're already crazy, so let's at least go the whole hog. But passion makes you do crazy things. Anybody got a story of something, they, something really crazy they did because they were in love? What's the, crazy, what's the craziest thing you've ever done for the, for the sake of love? Or can we not, we can't say in public. <laughs> How many of you have done stupid, crazy things because of love? What a boring, respectable bunch. <laughs> oh, you're all liars. In a charismatic church, I shouldn't say put up your hand. I should say put, put down your hand if you do. <laughs> okay. But let's talk about rekindling this romance. Is it making sense at all? Have I got your attention? Is this relevant? Is this something that's burning in you? I want to be more in love with Jesus. My heart isn't where it should be. You know, I often think if I really believed Scripture, I wouldn't be able to go through a day without weeping. I wonder, why am I so cold? Why is my heart so hard? And I don't think it's all hard heart. I think... Even Mervis goes the odd day without crying, I think. Uh, there's a sense of if we truly saw everything from God's perspective, I don't think we'd be able to function. Yeah? But I do think there's more. And the first thing I want to say is often we get into a negative cycle. So I feel I'm not loving Jesus like I should which produces guilt and shame. So we avoid Jesus. So we grow cold. So we feel guilt and shame. So we avoid Jesus. Does that make sense? And I love the story of when Jesus restores Peter. 
And we're not going to turn there, and I can do a whole preach just on this. But in, in, in short, Peter, at first, he goes, I love you, Jesus. I love you so much, I would never, ever betray you. I would never, I would, these other guys, yeah. All the other disciples, I can see them betraying you, but not me, Jesus. But Jesus said, just wait. Before the cock crows three times, you will have betrayed me. And he betrays Christ three times and he, he runs away. But when he sees Jesus, he, he's in the boat and he sees Jesus. He jumps out the boat. He says, okay, guys, you row back to shore. I'm getting there. I'm running to Jesus as quickly as possible. Because though I've betrayed him, though I'm feeling guilt and shame, though I'm feeling the burden of this thing, I'm going to run to Jesus as fast as I can. Judas, in contrast, also betrayed Jesus and his guilt and his shame caused him to run away from Christ and he killed himself. And so Peter ends up on the beach, they're having breakfast and then Jesus says, Peter, come, let's have a chat. And he says, Peter, do you truly love me more than these guys do? And he uses the word agape there, that self-sacrificial, I'll risk my life for you kind of love that Peter had been boasting about and had fallen. And basically what Jesus is saying here is, it's easy to say, but do you really love me? And Peter's response is, you know that I love you, Jesus. But he uses the word philos, which is kind of a brotherly love. And in a sense, he's saying, I do love you, Jesus, but the big mouth Peter that just got broken to pieces by his own failure, he said he would love you no matter what. I don't, know, I don't know if I'll fail next time. I don't know if I can say that anymore. It's okay. I'll take what you've got. Then a few minutes later, he says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, you know that I feel lost you. You know I love you like a brother, but I've not got the courage. I've not got, I've, I've not got the conviction to be able to say it. I know how easy it is to say. I know how hard it is to do. And then Jesus asks him a third time, and this time Jesus says, do you feel lost me? Do you love me like a brother? And it says Peter's heart was hurt because this time Jesus asked him this question. But the beautiful thing is Jesus knew Peter's heart and he knows your heart more than you. And he said, you know, there's going to come a day where people will take you where you don't want to go. And he was prophesying, he said, Peter, one day they will arrest you and they will kill you for my name's sake. How many of you want a prophecy like that? How many want a prophetic word? And how many wants one like that? And you think, wow, that seems like bad news. But you know, for Peter, that was the best news that he could hear. Because what he wasn't hearing was, you're going to die one day. What he was hearing was, next time, next time you will stand. Next time your love for me will be that agape love, that, that self-sacrificial love. You, it won't just be words, it will be reality. And at that moment, Peter's fear wasn't dying for Christ. His greatest fear was failing Christ. And the wonderful news is, no matter where your heart is at the moment, you can come to him. If you've been unfaithful to him, if you've been lukewarm, if you've been neglecting the relationship, if you've been rebellious, all he's asking is, 
come to me. I'm calling you, and whatever you've got, I'll take, and I will set fire to that and make it grow. God isn't expecting us to get our act together before we come to him. The the reality is, unless we come to him, we'll never get our act together. We can't find our passion in order to come to him. We have to come to him to find passion. We love, Scripture says, because he first loved us. And any love that we have, he is the source. And we've got to break negative cycles of behavior and negative thinking. And we've got to develop a positive cycle, a positive way of thinking. We've got to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. We've got to be obedient. We've got to find him. He's got to be the first one that we run to. And in order to rekindle the romance, and rekindling is, we know, it, it, uh, the language is from starting a fire, putting the, setting fire to kindling. And the first thing is this. You've got to stop feeding the wrong fires. When men have relationships with women who aren't their wives and they said, I couldn't help myself. It just happened. I said, no, it didn't. I was chatting to one guy and he, he, he had a, a sexual experience with a girl who wasn't his wife. And he said, it was an accident. So what, did you slip on the soap and just land on top of her? I don't know. what. I, I, can you say it was an accident? No, no, it just happened. It didn't happen. You made a decision to drive to a house. You made a decision to get out the car and knock on the door. You made a decision when she invited you in to go in. You made a decision to stay there for coffee. You made a decision to kiss her. You made a decision. What happened was the result of just adding kindling to a fire. And things that burn in you are the things that you feed. And some of us are not in love with Jesus because we've been taking our energies and our thoughts and our affections and we've been feeding the wrong things, thinking other things will satisfy us. And we've got to stop that and start something else. I remember years ago, I was working in a company and again, some tension with my wife and I'd get home and all I'd get at home was, you know, my wife didn't think I was a hero. My, my wife didn't think I was a winner, but there was this girl at work who thought I was amazing, or at least she said so. And so it was nice to talk to her. And they got to a point, I realized, wait a minute, I'm feeding something here. I never wanted a relationship with her, it never started, we never got there, but I knew if I continued to feed that thing, that's where my heart would follow. You know, the worst advice you can give anybody is follow your heart. Because your heart is deceitful above anything else. You follow your heart, you're going to end up in sin. You've got to get your heart under control and tell it where to go. And I just realized, wait a minute. This thing is feeding something in me. And I've got to be, it's my responsibility to feed something else. It's to invest in my marriage and kindle that romance. Does that make sense? And we, we, we do that, we flirt spiritually, don't we? We can flirt with cars if we're guys. 
and motorcycles and boats and all kinds of things. We can flirt with the things of this world thinking they will satisfy and they won't. So the first thing I want to say is stop feeding, stop kindling the wrong thing and start feeding the right fire. Stop your spiritual flirtation. And then here's some principles of how to rekindle a romance from psychologists and other experts. The first thing they talk about reminiscing, revisiting your relationship roots, revisiting the beginning of it all. And I'm not talking about living in the past. You know, I don't like when we's, you know, people, whatever's happening, they're not satisfied because I remember when we did this and I remember, and they live in the past. I'm not talking about living in the past, but I'm talking about reminiscing. Remembering the day of your salvation. Remembering that moment when you just realized what a sinner you were and how much Jesus loves you. Looking back at how far he's brought you. You know, I used to think I had a rubbish testimony. I, you know, because guys would come to church and tell us all these amazing testimonies about how they were drug addicts and mafiosa and, you know, they killed a hundred guys and then come to Jesus and it, wow, that's an interesting testimony. And people would go, Mike, will you show your testimony? I'd go, oh, well, I met Jesus when I was five and, you know, that's it's like been really boring, really. And then one day somebody asked me, Mike, will you show your testimony? I said this, yeah, I said, I want you to know that Jesus saved me out of drugs and sexual immorality, and crime, and depravity. And people who knew me thought, you're saying you're lying. We know you. And I said, the difference is, Jesus saved me from those things before I started them. But that was my destiny without him. I'm not a better, more moral person than you. I just know what Jesus saved me from. I know how real he is. I remember those days. And even with the tribe of Israel, at one point, the prophet says, God speaks to the prophet, says, set up a, an altar here and call it Ebenezer. And Ebenezer means, this is how far the Lord has brought us. And it is good to reminisce and remember how special, those special moments, how we felt. Do you do that with your husbands, with your wives? You talk about the old days when you first met how exciting everything was. Revisiting the roots can help rekindle the romance. It helps you remember how much he loves you and how everything was so easy. Everything was so exciting. The second useful thing for rekindling the romance Focus on communication. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. That's, I, it's true, right? Men and women, we can have a conversation and it's like you can hear completely different things. One, one of the reasons I love my wife coming to elders meetings is I can be sat in an elders meeting for six hours. I get home and my wife said, what did you talk about? And I, I sum it up in 30 seconds. <laughs> no, you mustn't talk more about... It's like, because... That's how I communicate. And I've had to learn how to communicate in her language 
And sometimes she's had to learn how to communicate in mind. And when it comes to the Lord, communication is great. The more we communicate, the more we understand, the more we see into each other's hearts. And God has given us a way of communicating with Him. It's called prayer. And prayer, some Christians see as an obligation or a duty we have to fulfill so often a week in order to get God's approval. Prayer is not an obligation, it's a gift. Imagine if we ran our marriages like we run our prayer lives. I'll speak to my wife for 30 seconds before each meal. For 15 minutes before every church service. And maybe try every morning to get half an hour in. <laughs> yeah? Prayer is not something we... we sh- Prayer is simply talking to God and listening to God. And it's something we can cultivate if we're cultivating a relationship. And it's interesting, another, another way to rekindle um, romance is to schedule date nights. So what, what, have a date night, have a date night. But you know, I, I heard something from Jordan Peterson recently, and I don't agree with everything he said, or everything he says, But he said this, he said, date nights are important. He said, but if you schedule a date night with your wife and you haven't spent at least 90 minutes that week talking to her, you're wasting your time. Because you need to be spending time during the week talking about the everyday nitty-gritty of life. What needs doing? What's our schedules? What what needs fixing in the house? And, And you go on to this date night and because you haven't spoken... It's like the whole date night is, is admin catch-up. And that's not romance. Your date night becomes an admin meeting. Some of you are laughing. It must be true. And the challenge is, the worse we are at it, the harder it is. Like when you first meet, you can, you can talk on the phone for six hours and you know, you're never at a loss of what to say. After you've been married ten years, you go out for a date night and it's like, If we're not going to talk about church or the kids, what are we going to talk about? Does that make Because you learn to work past each other. You learn to take each other for granted. And you know, there's this thought that I want to be in a church where I'm just free to be myself and everybody loves me. And there's some truth in that, but it's actually really dodgy thinking. That's me like saying, I want a marriage where I'm just free to be myself and my wife loves me regardless. Yeah? I want to be myself, but I want to be the best version of myself. If I'm just a slob who, you know, does whatever a man would do while he's on his own, you know, and eat the food that I would eat and spend my time just watching sport and all of those things, I would become very unattractive to my wife very quickly. What is attractive to my partner? When we spend, it's not about whether we spend time together, it's what do we do when we spend time together. And some of us are having quiet times and our quiet times are admin times with God. 
So I'll give him half an hour in the morning, and in half an hour, I've got to read my Bible a bit, so I'll, uh, I've got a Bible reading plan, so I'll just, okay, that's out of the way, 10 minutes of that, and now pray, and I'll just, all the things that are bugging me, I'll, I'll just tell God all the things that are bugging me. That's an admin meeting. That's not a date night. Is this making sense? We've got to find time with God. We were just hanging with God. We were enjoying Him. And I want to say as you go on leave over December, what an opportunity. What an opportunity. Most of us have got time off. You know the excuse, I'm just too busy. Well, you're not too busy over this time. This time is a wonderful opportunity to start putting things in place in your life that will rekindle the romance. By the way, as much as I'm preaching about your uh, romance with Jesus, some of you husbands might need to apply some of this for your wives as well over December. He He says talking into the mirror. Is that making sense? We have a relationship. Relationships, the oxygen of relationships is, is, is time and communication. And what does that mean? Well, it may mean you go surfing, but while you're surfing, you're just glorying in God's creation and you're saying, Jesus, thank you for this wave. It could be, it could be that. But it's about having, being conscious that whatever you're doing, you're doing it with Jesus. but deliberately setting time aside. Another way to rekindle romance, bring back the romantic gestures. I was counseling a guy once, and he was having trouble in his marriage, and he said, why would I have a candlelit dinner with my wife when she knows that I hate candlelit dinners and I'm going to be miserable while I'm doing it? Which had a strange sort of logic about it, but it was absolute garbage. I said, the whole point is you don't hate it because you're doing something your wife loves. That in itself should be something you enjoy doing. There's mil- like going to a farm stall and looking at pottery and little wire things. and pick- That's like not my idea of fun. Why would I ever do that? And why would I do it if my wife knows I don't enjoy doing those things? Because it's a way of showing my wife that that time with her doing what she loves is enjoyable. My joy is in doing what she wants to do. My joy is in pleasing her. And when it comes to Jesus, it's the same thing. You know, let's say in worship. No, I don't want to dance and jump up and down. I prefer quiet, calm, contemplative worship. Well, that's great. That's what you enjoy. What does he enjoy? I remember years ago, you 2 came to town. Does anybody remember when you 2 came? And it was in March. It was around my birthday, and I had this genius idea. I'm going to buy tickets for you 2 for me and my wife to enjoy because we're both born in March. Great birthday present, right? Except my wife hates loud music and crowds. And I realized I was buying her a ticket for, uh, I was buying her a present for her birthday for my enjoyment. And many of us do church that way. It's about what I enjoy. My, no, no. Love and, and, and romantic gestures, like flowers, buying flowers, I like, 
That's a lot of money for something that's going to be dead in three days. Yeah. But it's not about my logic and my preference. The romantic gesture is doing something and, not, and doing something spontaneous that the other partner loves. And that should be our relationship with Jesus. What are our romantic gestures with Jesus? Maybe just saying, you know what, I'm going to switch off Netflix tonight. And I'm going to put some worship music on. Right? Now, for some of you, that sounds like an exciting evening. Right? For Mervis, that sounds like a, that sounds like a great evening, right? For some of you, you're like, oh, worship's so hard work for me. Well, maybe it is, but he loves it. So maybe spend a night doing what he loves. And you'll be amazed how it changes your heart. One of the, one, as a parent, isn't one of your greatest pleasures watching the joy on your children's faces when you're doing something they love? I mean, if we're totally honest, how many of us would go to their school functions if, if we had a choice? <laughs> Come on. Uh, you endure those church, you endure those kids' school functions, right? Watching a hundred kids try and dance and sing, and it's terrible. Why do you go? You go out of love. You're doing something to please the other person, not because you're enjoying it, except you learn to enjoy it because of the joy you bring to your children. Does that make sense? We, we've got to be giving to Him, finding out what He enjoys. Practicing gratitude. One of the biggest challenges to our faith, to our relationship, is ingratitude. It really is. When you look in Scripture and it talks about grumbling and complaining, we think grumbling and complaining is no big deal. Just do a Bible study sometime on grumbling and complaining and see how God deals with it. Because you know what grumbling and, com and complaining is? If I grumble and complain in my, in my marriage, I'm saying, I deserve better than you're giving me. Grumbling and complaining to God is saying, I deserve more than you've given me, God. And I don't know about you, but if I said that to my wife, it would not endear me to her very much. It would not make her feel warm and affectionate and loving and intimate with me. I remember an eldership couple once did, um, they did some marriage training course and they separated the men and the women and they were talking about how to, basically how to, how to encourage intimacy in your partner, you know, and, uh, you know, with the wives, it, you know, like, you know, or to the husbands it was, Get flowers and candles and, you know, romantic music and cook a meal and all of that. And then they were talking to the, the husbands and the elder was giving all these things. I was like, like, no, the way you encourage your husband to be intimate, just, just show up naked. That's it. It's like, <laughs> it's like men, but this, how do I encourage intimacy in my relationship? How do we encourage intimacy in our relationship with Jesus? And being grumbling and complaining and criticizing is probably not going to do it. There's a subtle hint for, for you guys. What cultivates intimacy? What cultivates intimacy 
for you with Jesus? And some, for some of you, the honest answer would be, I don't know. I've never known how to cultivate intimacy. And if that's the case, then ask for help. Find people who quickly become intimate with the Lord. Try new things together. That's another way of rekindling the romance in your relationship. Get out of a rut and try new things. What does that mean with Jesus? Well, try new things. Step out of your comfort zone. Step out in faith. Serve. Go on outreaches. Minister to people. One of the, one of the things for me personally, where I feel the intimacy of the Lord more than any other time is when I'm ministering to somebody else. When I'm prophesying, I don't cry. I think, I think somebody removed my tear ducts when, at a young age. But I have to say, oh, sometimes when I'm prophesying over somebody or I'm ministering and the anointing comes, there's a little bit of leakage. Something stirs. I, I sense physically and emotionally the presence of God. Just watch, watch Mervis when he's prophesying over people. It's not just that he's... Pro- he, you feel the intimacy of the Lord as you're ministering to others. Get out of a rut. Get out of you being obsessed with you. And then finally, guys, you'll like this one. A good way to rekindle your relationship. Kiss more often. Kiss more often. You go, what does that have to do with Jesus? Well, do you know the word worship? The origin is to kiss towards. Our worship is a means of showing affection. It's a means of coming into intimacy. And if we want more intimacy, as much as Jesus is calling us, and he always takes the first step, He's always the first one. As much as he's calling us and he's taking the first step, we need to respond. The problem I had at one stage in my marriage is I got so upset at one stage that when my wife came to try and fix things, I wasn't interested. That might shock you. I know none of you have ever done that. But we can get to that stage where we can become so hard or so cold or so distant that our partner takes a step towards us and we're not willing to respond. And this evening, Jesus is taking that step and I feel like I've done a terrible job of of trying to explain this. But the power isn't in the words tonight. I think, I believe that for many of us, Jesus is calling He's taking the first step tonight, and all he's asking for is a response. And some of you might say, but Mike, I've tried responding a hundred times and never felt anything. Believe me, I know that experience. But respond anyway. And respond anyway. And every time he calls, you respond. And I can guarantee you, because this is his heart for you. He loves you more than you love him. His passion for your relationship is more than your passion every time. He has a desire to be intimate with you. 
And if you can just respond to his overtures and let him lead you into those places, you can find that intimacy that you're longing for. We shouldn't accept that we've been saved a long time. And so it should just be. I remember a young girl, and Merv, do you want to come get around? There's a, a young girl, and she'd been recently saved, and she came to me and said, Mike, what do I do? Because my friends and my family are saying, you know, I'm a bit over the top, and I should calm down. I said, that's the problem with Christianity today. Everybody's been told to calm down. Because it's easier if I've become lukewarm and I see a, somebody who's on fire, it's a lot easier to ask them to become lukewarm than it is for me to catch fire. I said, never, never become normal. Stay wild, stay crazy. Maybe, just maybe, some other people will come near you and catch fire too. And it's not about our own effort, actually. There's a beautiful song by Keith Green, and it's this confession. He said, Lord, the feelings are not the same. I guess I'm older. I guess I've changed. And I wish it had been explained that as you're growing, you must remember that nothing lasts except the grace of God by which I stand in Jesus. I know that I would surely fall away except for grace by which I'm saved. He says, Lord, I remember that special way. I vowed to serve you when it was brand new. But like Peter, I can't even watch and pray one hour with you. Yeah, and I bet I could deny you too. Because nothing lasts except the grace of God by which I stand in Jesus. I'm sure that my whole life would waste away except for grace by which I'm saved. And by his grace, his unmerited favor, I believe the Lord Jesus is reaching out to us now. And some of us, as I read that, you go, God, I remember when it was brand new. I remember my passion. I remember that no price was too great. I remember weeping on my knees before you. I remember I couldn't keep my mouth shut when I was with unbelievers just wanting to share the gospel with you. And now I've become mature and normal and mediocre. Relight the fire. Relight the fire. Are we willing to respond? I'd love Mervis just to lead us. And for us... to have some quality time with Jesus. It's date night with Jesus. Say, Lord, I'm sorry if I've neglected our relationship. I'm sorry if I've taken you for granted. I'm sorry if I've lost sight of how beautiful you are. I'm sorry if I've lost sight of how incredible my salvation story is. I'm sorry if we've become disconnected. I'm sorry if I've become lukewarm. But I thank you that you're waiting with arms open wide. 
feel like for some of you, it's like he wants to lead you in a dance. He wants to take you in his arms. He wants to dance with you and whisper into your ear and remind you again of his love and his affection for you and just how much he enjoys you. And he wants to tell you tonight how much I love you. How much I love you. It's not empty words. I want to tell you how much I love you. Come. Let me take you in my arms. Let me whisper in your ear. Let me touch your heart. Let me reignite the fire. Let us rekindle the romance of this incredible relationship. Can we respond to Jesus tonight? Let's find that moment in him.